0: As a Mark Levin listener, you're not just informed, you're engaged, and you value freedom and personal responsibility. That's why I think you'll love Metashare. Metashare is a community-based approach to healthcare with a 30-year proven track record. It's not health insurance, it's a community of four hundred thousand believers committed to caring and sharing with one another. Members save up to fifty percent or more on their monthly healthcare costs, and members like it twice as much as healthcare insurance, because it actually works. Find out more at Medashare.com slash Levin. That's Medishare.com slash L E V.
1: Now, from deep inside the underground bunker, with red, white, and blue bunting behind him, and the American flag standing proudly at his side, here with an election update, our fearless leader, Mark Mark Levin. Levin. What's
0: the greatest threat to America? I'm asking you folks this. What's the greatest threat to America? Joe Biden, the American Marxist movements, the Democrat Party, and what they've done to our country? Or Donald Trump? Bill Barr says he can't tell. He doesn't know. He'll jump off that bridge when he gets to it. He's also a plagiarist in that respect, but we'll move on from that. So for Bill Barr, the, the call is too close to make. Chris Christie, the call's too close to make. Mitch McConnell, he prefers Biden over Trump. Peggy Noonan, she prefers Biden over Trump. This is why Republicans always lose to Democrats. And I don't mean politically, I mean the culture, I mean the rule of law, I mean our society. Because if it wasn't Trump, it would be DeSantis. If it wasn't one of them, it would be one of the others. They're very comfortable, they say, with Chris Christie. Chris Christie is is a rhino. Both physically and otherwise. He's a rhino. People are leaving New Jersey. Not because of the Democrat governor, because of Republican and Democrat governors. He didn't do anything effective there financially, culturally, in any way. He's a safe Republican. And the Democrat TV networks lovely guy. It didn't used to, but he dances and sings for their support. Bill Barr they were going to impeach him. Now they can't get enough of him. Mortgage rates are at a 21 year high and they're going higher. Interest rates are going higher. The cost of food, 9 out of 10 Americans are saying is prohibitive. The cost of gasoline, 9 out of 10 Americans are saying is prohibitive. Utility bills, over 8 out of 10 Americans say it's prohibitive. In other words, Americans are struggling. Nobody walks through a... A city street when the sun has gone down, regardless of your race, in any major city in America anymore. Nobody. Because you put your life on the line. You may not make it. People are afraid of taking public transportation in every major city in America. The cops have been undermined. the schools are indoctrination mills for the most perverse and grotesque ideology ever embraced even by a fraction of a percentage of the american people our economic systems under assault we have the worst debt in american history we have a deficit each each year which is unbelievable unimaginable we're destroying our economy from within The worst censorship in American history didn't happen under Woodrow Wilson. It's happened under Joe Biden. Federal judge said so and spelled it out. Chapter and verse. A circuit court panel said the same thing. They've spelled it out chapter and verse. A clear violation of the First Amendment. When the United States government, the Biden administration, and its various departments are pressuring Twitter before Elon Musk came to the rescue to interfere in our elections, to censor scientific information, to punish their political opponents and all the rest. We have the FBI and the Department of Justice that have gone after parents. We have the FBI and the Department of Justice that have gone after peaceful pro-life protesters. We have the FBI and the Department of Justice that have gone after the Catholic Church. And They're starting to go after Orthodox Jews. We have a President of the United States who defies every immigration law on the books. And the worst mayhem we've ever seen With illegal immigration where even Democrat mayors and their phony sanctuary cities are overwhelmed overwhelmed begging their president to do something about it and he won't do a damn thing because this is part of the process this is what he wants to do we have women being raped and sold into sex trafficking as well as children on the southern border We have the drug cartels pouring over the border. Every major city in America in all 50 states now has drug cartel operations taking place. MS-13 coming across the border. Fentanyl coming across the border. Illegal weapons coming across the border. We don't have time to really figure out exactly the consequences of all this. But it's immense from today on in this country. It's immense. And Bill Barr can't decide who he would vote for if the nominee is Trump or Biden. Chris Christie can't decide who he'd vote for if the nominee is Trump or Biden. Biden. Mitch McConnell's already decided he's going to support Biden, no question about it, over Trump. The usual operatives of the rhino state, the car rows, the Bush Sink offense. all the knives are out. All the saboteurs are doing everything they can. Everything they can. And they're going to succeed if they keep it up. They will persuade 10, 15, 20, 30% of the Republican Party to vote. Perhaps for a third party or even Biden. When you look at the real conservatives, Bill Barr is no conservative. He doesn't have any conservative credentials. He shows up at Federalist Society meetings, mostly to eat the Danish When you listen to Newt Gingrich. When you listen to Victor Davis Hanson. When you listen to former U.S. attorneys. Brent Tolman, so many others. Former special counsel. Saul Weissman. Deputy special counsel. When you listen beyond... Certain of the legal analysts, the newsers go to left and right because they seem to be so impartial. Now is not a time for impartiality. We're in the middle of a revolution. I laid out the bare facts just now. The country's being destroyed. We live in a post-constitutional period where people have to fear for their, for their liberty when they speak out. When they organize, when they purchase weapons, and they're law-abiding citizens, they have to fear for their liberty. They have to fear from a growing centralized police state under the command of the Democrat Party. So let me put it to you this way. If we lose this election, I put it at the feet of these Republicans, Mitch McConnell, Bill Barr, Chris Christie, John Bolton, Asa Hutchison. I don't mind a good fight in a primary, but that's not what these guys are doing. These guys are trying to destroy the leading Republican. And maybe he won't be the leading Republican forever. What do I know? But the point is he is now. And so it's hard enough to take on the corrupt Democrat Party, the corrupt media, corrupt academia. It's hard enough to defeat that. But to have these constant stilettos stabbing the back of your head, your neck, your back. Makes it that much harder to go on TV and give the enemies of this country who are literally trying to turn you into some kind of Marxist regime with wide open borders, with fentanyl coming into this country, killing 100,000 people at a time. who are attacking our Bill of Rights. They get on TV In a sanctimonious, self-aggrandizing way. Because you're trying to cripple. The guy who has over 50% right now among the Republicans is sickening to me. Like I said, it's one thing for a candidate to duke it out with another. That's not why Chris Christie's there. Nobody cares about Chris Christie. Not even Mrs. Christie. In fact, when that all you can eat smorgasbord play, what's it called? Corral? Something or other? Golden Corral. When they see Christy coming, they shut those doors and bolt them up as fast as they can, Mr. Producer. They don't want to lose money that week. Oh, my God. And when they see Christy and Bill Barr coming, it's like, oh, my Lord. It's like a hurricane. And when those two are done eating,
1: trust me, it is like a hurricane. You're listening to the Mark Levin Election Special.
0: Today's show is sponsored by our friends at MediShare. As a Mark Levin listener, you're not just informed, you're engaged, and you value freedom and personal responsibility. That's why I think you'll love Metashare. MediShare is a community-based approach to health care that lines up with the principles we believe in. Your values matter, and with Metashare, your healthcare dollars won't be used for medical procedures that don't line up with your beliefs. Metashare is the highest-rated healthcare sharing ministry with a 30-year proven track record. It's not health insurance. It's a community of 400,000 believers committed to caring and sharing with one another. Members save up to 50% or more on their monthly healthcare costs, and members like it twice as much as healthcare insurance. Because it works. For a limited time, Mark Levin listeners will receive a $150 gift card when you join Metashare. Terms and conditions apply. So to find out more, go to MediShare.com slash Levin. MediShare.com slash L-E-V-I-N. That's com slash Levin.
1: This is the Mark Levin Election Special. I'm going to tell you why I like Tim Scott. This man is a
0: gentleman. Even when he's in the midst of a firefighter debate, he's still a gentleman. He says things that other people won't say. He has integrity. You know that he means what he says. He's a man who understands history. He and his family have lived history. He is a conservative. He is a Republican. He believes in liberty. And I have to be honest with you folks. He comes under attack because he doesn't fit the left wing stereotype. And yet he's the happy warrior. He keeps moving along and he keeps talking to the electorate throughout the country and during these debates. And whenever he speaks, I pay attention to it. Tim Scott, how are you, sir?
2: Mark, when you speak, I pay attention. There's no question that your intellect, your fire is something that stokes the embers of passion in my heart for our country. And I got to tell you, Mark, I know this is not what you asked me to talk about, but I got to tell you anyway, when you wrote the book, The Democrat Party Hates America, I said, hmm. But I got to tell you, Mark, after watching the dude in the house, I won't even mention his name, refer to me as Sambo. It just oh tells God. me that the Democratic Party, that they don't just hate America. I think Joe Biden doesn't like black families because when I look around, what I see is them using race and class to divide our country. It is wrong, Mark. It stirs my soul. And I can't imagine why in the world. They keep doing that to our country. Poor black kids deserve better than the leadership we're seeing in Chicago and L.A. and around the country. I got to tell you, Mark, you got me fired up.
0: Well, I'm going to tell you something, Senator. Um, You say more in a couple of sentences than uh, many of these politicians say in a lifetime, and it's very important coming from you. Because there's no denying my race, your race, my faith, other people's faith, and so forth and so on. And the Democrat Party has you pegged. They have Clarence Thomas pegged. And I think of Frederick Douglass, one of my great heroes. He escapes slavery. He becomes, he's self-taught. He's an intellectual. He's a scholar. 1852. He disagrees with many of his fellow abolitionists. Not on slavery, of course, but they're trashing the Constitution. And he says to them, why are you trashing the Constitution? The Constitution doesn't perpetuate slavery. It's the greatest governing document on the face of the earth. We need virtuous people to administer the Constitution.
2: That's what we need. And that sounds to me a lot like you. Well, Mark, I got to tell you, I'm a fan of Frederick Douglass, too, and Abraham Lincoln. And what those two men understood, it was celebrate our founding fathers, not because they were perfect. They were flawed, but it was the constitution that was the anchor to absolute truth. And absolute truth is how we set people free. You see, Frederick Douglass understood that our constitution and our declaration of independence gave inalienable rights. The declaration says it will. That doesn't, our rights don't come from each other. They come from a creator and amongst those rights, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. We must embrace our founding documents because they set people free and the radical left. They're willing to lock poor kids into failing schools by having the teachers union stand in the doorway of the schoolhouse, trapping them in, and the DAs in these liberal elite cities unlocking the jailhouse and letting people out. Mm. It's just disgusting.
0: It is disgusting. And you mentioned in the last debate something that almost nobody else would, and yet it's the truth. There have been scholars who've written about it. Even Patrick Moynihan wrote about it many years ago, the Democrat Democrat, became a democrat senator from new york which is that these social programs destroy the family of the poor particularly the black family they destroy the nuclear family and they destroy the whole work ethic and you so far have been the only one who's even mentioned that tell me a little bit more about that
2: well mark if you think about it listen i slavery was a great evil upon our nation. I make no excuses, I pull no punches. Slavery was evil, no good came out of slavery. But I must concede and we should all take a close look That the black family coming out of slavery, we survived poll taxes and literacy tests and even discrimination woven into the laws of our country. But the great society introduced by LBJ devastated poor and particularly black families by making the exchange, forcing the man out of the house. So checks would come in the mail. The result of that has been devastation that you measure in these big blue cities in crime and in unemployment and uneducated people and hope deferred makes the heart sick. It is time for us to tell the whole story, Mark, that in the 1960s, 70 plus percent of black kids grew up with two parents in the household. In the 2020s, 70% of black kids are growing up in a single parent household. And that is the foreshadowing for the rest of the country. Now 40% of white kids And working-class families are growing up in a single-parent household. If you want to know if socialism works, take a look at the devastation around our nation. And I must stand up and shout from the rooftops if I can't reach the mountaintops. Because I was that poor kid, Mark, growing up in a single-parent household, mired in poverty. But thank God Almighty, I was given the greatest Citizenship on Earth, and in America, you can rise beyond your circumstances. You can chart a new course. That's rare on Earth. If
0: people want to help you, where do they go?
2: Mark, please ask everybody to go to vote.timscott.com. I need your help. I need your help, and I need your resources because the radical left. They're calling me everything but a child of God. But I'm going to stand in the fire. Vote Tim
1: God bless you, sir. You're listening to the Mark Levin Election Special.
0: Today's show is sponsored by our friends at MediShare. As a Mark Levin listener, you're not just informed, you're engaged and you value freedom and personal responsibility. That's why I think you'll love MediShare. MediShare is a community based approach to health care that lines up with the principles we believe in. Your values matter, and with Metashare, your healthcare dollars won't be used for medical procedures that don't line up with your beliefs. Metashare is the highest rated healthcare sharing ministry with a 30-year proven track record. It's not health insurance, it's a community of 400,000 believers committed to caring and sharing with one another. Members save up to 50% or more on their monthly healthcare costs, and members like it twice as much as healthcare insurance because it works. For a limited time, Mark Levin listeners will receive a $150 gift card when you join Metashare. Terms and conditions apply. So to find out more, go to MediShare.com slash Levin, MediShare.com slash L-E-V-I-N. That's MediShare.com
1: slash Levin. This is the Mark Levin Election Special.
0: by Ramaswamy. How are you, sir? Good to be on, Mark. How are you? You are one of the most articulate politicians, or new politicians, I've ever heard. One of the most intelligent. You have uh, really a very very fine gift in this, and that's very important, communication and so forth. You're a very successful businessman at a very young age, self-made. And these are very, very important qualities, particularly for conservatives, I think. But I want you to tell me, and I'm serious about this, and I asked the other candidates too, those who are willing to come on. How do we know you're a conservative? You don't have a long history of conservative activity. I'm not even talking about government politics. Maybe your associations, maybe your donations, maybe your speeches. And so, three, four, five, six years before you decided to run, were you involved in anything? Or explain, but
3: however you wish.
4: Yeah, sure.
3: Well, look, I'll. Uh... I'll share with you that, first of all, my career was as an entrepreneur, right? So it wasn't in professional politics. And I think that's going to be one of the things that allows me to actually govern. Don't get mad at me. I'm not.
0: I I agree with you on that. That's not my point. Let me
3: me tell you. But but hold on. I just want to make a point.
0: There are businessmen. There are other people who do their thing, who are not in professional politics. In fact, they're not even in politics but they get involved in various conservative causes and so forth. I'm going to let you speak. I just wanted to uh, 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 sort of focus in on the point. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, so I've been donors to, and and I don't like to flaunt it, but millions of dollars in recent years in donations to conservative causes across this country, and even some that I continue through this presidential campaign. I mean, I've recently, for example, endowed an American identity scholarship to foster national pride in the next generation. Been a large supporter of the America First Policy Institute, for the Heritage Foundation. I've been on the Council for National Policy. You may be familiar with CNP, but I've been, you know, at their top tier membership for a long time, helping guide and direct what I think of as the future of the conservative movement. I think that the Philanthropy Roundtable was one of the organizations that I've served on the board of which has been fighting the woke cancer in the philanthropy industrial complex. Mark, but probably the the biggest piece of this was a few years ago, the conditions under which I made a decision to step down from my job, comfortable job, as a biotech CEO. I had led that company as CEO for seven years. But when the George Floyd-related post-George Floyd death, Black Lives Matter protests were raging across this country, there was a demand for me to do the same thing that every other biotech CEO was effectively required to do. Pay homage to the temple of BLM, praise them, maybe make a donation. I refused to do it. That led to a series of controversies that actually led to a couple advisors from my company resigning. And I had to face the choice of whether I was going to bend the knee and stay in a cush position or whether I was going to take the sacrifice of speak in my mind without apology but have to separate myself from the company to do it. And that's the choice I made. And so, you know, the thing about me, Mark, is I've written three, I know you're a prolific writer, uh, but I have written three books in the last couple of years myself that detail a lot of these experiences. They're not typical candidate books. Uh, these are books that delve into substance, but a lot of my personal story is woven in there too. And I think that'll give you some sense that, yes, I haven't been in politics, but at least in the last, you know, probably three to four years of my life, three years in particular, this has been my life's work in the last three years in my post-business career and now we're continuing it to actually see it all the way through.
0: You're running a very fascinating campaign. On the one hand so far you have seemed to be able to walk the line between soft, I'll call it soft criticism of President Trump but then on the other hand I would say appropriate outrage at what's being done against him. Have I described that about right?
3: You know I would describe it a little bit differently. I think that President Trump was, I think, an excellent president. And I think that his win over Hillary Clinton in 2016 was probably the single most important political event in my lifetime, certainly, and in this 21st century, that stopped the inevitable leftward march through our government institutions at the very least. And so for that reason, I feel, particularly during an election where I'm running against him some sense of obligation not to just throw that legacy under the bus and start criticizing it. So I wouldn't even call it soft criticism. But what I would say is I'm unafraid of drawing contrasts with any candidate, right, on policy, on style, on approach. And it turns out we have mostly overlap. But you're right, I'm not afraid to draw my contrasts with anybody. I don't believe in criticizing my fellow candidates here. But drawing contrasts, I'm happy to do. And I think that that's a good description of, I think, the way we're thinking about this campaign and the way I'll continue to run it to the very end.
0: Let me ask you this. You know, there may be candidates I agree with mostly or disagree with mostly, but there's some candidates who are really like human torpedoes. They want to get on that debate stage for the purpose of trashing one or another candidate. Are you concerned about candidates like that who may take up all the oxygen and get all the headlines when they're really going nowhere? But they but they serve the purposes of the of the Democrat Party media.
3: Well, I'm not concerned about it. I do find it somewhat irritating, only because I think it doesn't help us in our quest to select the best nominee for U.S. president, which is what the job of the Republican primary is. I think we should be talking about what do we stand for, why do we stand for it, and then get to the question of who is going to best advance that agenda. I personally believe, Mark, one of the subjects near and dear to my heart is shutting down the unconstitutional administrative state. One of the reasons I am in this race is I think I'm the probably the single candidate in the last 30 years who has the best understanding of how to actually get that job done. Those are the kinds of issues I'd like to be talking about rather than hurling. So how would you do that? Seeing, yeah. Well, I think that it's, it takes a unique combination of not only having been a CEO and a business guy like Trump, I've built multi-billion dollar businesses and I'm willing to break glass, but it takes somebody who has also an understanding mark of the laws and constitution of this country. And that's the combination I'm bringing to the table where actually it's a myth that the civil service protections would stop a U.S. president from reorganizing the government. That's what they told Trump. Well, the advisors were wrong. And that's why you need a president who understands the law himself. The civil service protections apply to individual firings of one-off government employees. They do not apply to mass layoffs, and mass layoffs are absolutely what I am bringing to the D.C. federal bureaucracy. When you think about reorganizing or shutting down branches of the you know administrative state, like the Department of Education or the FBI, and I think we've laid out in our campaign unprecedented detail of the mechanics of how we would actually get it done, it turns out there are reorganization statutes, one dating from 1977, that says under limited circumstances, the U.S. president can do this without asking Congress for permission or forgiveness if it stimulates the economy or reduces redundant agencies. And, so, Mark, I come back to that. It takes that special combination of someone who, yes, is an outsider, isn't beholden, can actually see that through as an executive, but also somebody who actually understands the law and constitution of this country. And that's a rare combination, and that's part of what draws me into this race. I think
0: this is very important. I remember in the Reagan administration, we had what we called reductions in force. That's what I think you're talking about. And you do not need legislation to do that. But here's what happens. Here's what happens. Congress says, don't do that. Well, I can do it. I'm going to do it. Okay, you're going to do that? Yes. Okay, you know that defense budget bill you want? Yes. Well, you're not going to get it. What do you do in a circumstance? In other words, what I'm saying is there is this hurly-burly that takes place. What do you do in a case like that? I have my own thoughts. I'm curious. What would you do?
3: Well, look, let me say what my first intention is first. I, I am an optimist, and I am aspirational for what I want to achieve for this country. I think that we need a landslide election. You brought up Reagan, a 1980 or 1984 Reagan-style moral mandate. We haven't had one in a very long time in this country. And I think that we're in a moment where the rot of the administrative state has already been exposed, even to many elected official Republicans who will be part of that landslide, that that was the big service that Trump did for the country, is exposing that rot. I think that with that landslide election, I will have at least the first two years to take a quantum leap forward, Mark, before there's any of the, uh, you know, what you would call modifying effects that you might see from then a broken Congress. And so that's what I'm laser focused on. And I do think I'm going to be frank with you. I I think there Mm -hmm. are many other Republican candidates in this race who can defeat Joe Biden, who are good people. But I think I'm the only candidate, Mark, who can actually win this election in an unequivocal landslide because of what we already see. We're bringing young people with us. 40% 40% of my donors are first-time-ever donors to the Republican Party in any form, compared to 2% for normal candidates. That's what I think it's going to require to drive actual change, not just incremental reform but a sort of revolution, which is what I think we need.
0: How are you going to get around these states, particularly, the, I mean, Reagan won you know massive number of states, massive Electoral College yep. victories. He won states nobody thought he could. And then you have states like California, New York, Illinois, New Jersey that have changed their election rules and really quite corrupt in ways that make it very, very difficult to win in these states. You know, I was a Reagan guy in 76, campaigned for him in 76 and 80, worked in his administration for eight years. We had two massive landslides. I think that would be almost impossible to pull off today. I really don't because of the way they've changed the election procedures. No.
3: Well, Mark, I think that if you had said that in in the summer of nineteen seventy nine, one would have said that was impossible too.
0: No, no, no but that, it wasn't the same thing in nineteen seventy nine. A lot has it wasn't happened the same since thing. then.
3: Circumstances have changed, but but people in seventy nine might have said the same. But look, what here is what I'll say: is that I'm already doing my best to get a head start on it. I'm going to the south side of Chicago. I've campaigned in Kensington, in the inner city of Philadelphia. I'm reaching young people, college campuses, disproportionately focusing on young people. I think young people are part of the key mark to do this, where part of what we tend to believe is that they're part of the neo-progressive, neo-Marxist left. When, in fact, when it's talking about 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, really, or recent young adults, they're just hungry for a cause, actually. They are starved for purpose and meaning. They're just lost. And I think that one of the things I'm doing in this campaign is I'm leading us not just to run from something. I'm leading us to start running to something. And that really resonates with young people and brings along people who might have thought of themselves as, you know, even a Bernie Sanders voter that actually come along and say, you know what? If individual, family, nation, and God are filling the vacuum in my heart more than race, gender, sexuality, and climate, maybe I'll try the other thing this time. That's what we're seeing across the country. So I'm, I'm hopeful, Mark. I'm not saying that it's nothing's definite, right? We have our challenges ahead of us, but. I certainly think I am the candidate who is best positioned to deliver that landslide as the youngest person ever to run for president in our party. I think the traction we're seeing is good evidence of that already this early on, going from 0.0 to third place in the Republican national polling and the donor base that's particularly unique of small-dollar donors we've built up. So it's early, but I am hopeful, and I think that that's the best chance we have.
0: I will say this. You are a very positive voice in this race you know i listen to some of these guys i'm just being honest i'm not saying you're pollyanna i'm saying again when i listen to the christies or listen to some of the uh, backbenchers like larry hogan or asa Hutchison, these guys i mean you're ready to just throw in the towel um about what's taking place in the republican party and so forth and so they don't have anything to draw it support. They'll draw attention, say, on Meet the Press or Face the Nation or something like that. But they have no base. And you're going out there, you're trying to create your own base. Is that about right?
3: That is about right. Exactly. And, and I think that that will be good for our movement. And, you know, my view, Mark, in this is I'm going to speak the truth at every step. And I would rather lose the election than to play some political snakes and ladders why I've invested over $15 million of my hard-earned money in this campaign, rather than asking a bunch of mega donors for permission to run. I don't think super PAC puppets are good for our party or for our electoral process, but I believe that the way we're doing this is, I'm a patriot who speaks truth, and if you want to stand on the side of revolution over incremental reform, then that's great. I'm going to tell the people of this country who I am and what I believe and what I stand for, and if that's what they want, then I'll be the next president. But if everybody in this country knows who I am and what I want, they want to go a different direction, I'm at peace with that as well. That's the whole strategy of this campaign is to be just that direct about it and unattached to the result. But I'm called to serve. And if the people of this country feel like they need to call me to serve as the next president, I'll do that for the next eight years. And I'm confident that when I leave office in January 2033, we won't have an administrative state. We will be independent of China. We will not depend on our enemy for our modern way of life. We will be growing at a 4-plus percent GDP growth rate again. And most importantly, young Americans will be proud of being citizens of this country again, which is, I think, the single most important thing I can deliver.
0: Well, I'm glad you came on. I think you, uh, you made a very strong case for yourself, Vivek. And I want to wish you a lot of safety and uh, success out there. And
3: if people want to help, where do they go? Go to vivek2024.com, V-I-V-E-K 2024.com. We prefer volunteers to donors, though though we'll take both, and I appreciate that. Appreciate the opportunity, Mark.
1: All right. God bless. Take care of yourself. You're listening to the Mark Levin Election Special. Today's
0: show is sponsored by our friends at MetaShare. As a Mark Levin listener, you're not just informed, you're engaged, and you value freedom and personal responsibility. That's why I think you'll love Metashare. Metashare is a community-based approach to healthcare that lines up with the principles we believe in. Your values matter. And with Metashare, your healthcare dollars won't be used for medical procedures that don't line up with your beliefs. Metashare is the highest rated healthcare sharing ministry with a 30-year proven track record. It's not health insurance. It's a community of 400,000 believers committed to caring and sharing with one another. Members save up to 50% or more on their monthly healthcare costs, and members like it twice as much as healthcare insurance, because it works. For a limited time, Mark Levin listeners will receive a $150 gift card when you join MediShare. Terms and conditions apply, so to find out more, go to MediShare.com slash Levin, MediShare.com slash L-E-V-I-N, that's MediShare.com slash Levin.
1: It's the Mark Levin Election Special. Governor Ron DeSantis, how are you, sir?
4: I'm doing wonderful. How are you?
0: I'm doing wonderful, too, sir. I'm going to ask you a question, by the way. I watch this on uh, some of my favorite shows and some shows that are hosted by reprobates, and I've noticed that a part of the media keeps rooting for yavek ramaswamy or nikki haley to overtake you in the polls (laughs) isn't that weird and why are they rooting against you do you think
4: well they've been rooting against me for a long time i mean as a governor i've been the number one target of any governor in the country particularly starting with covid when i was bucking fauci and bucking the trend and then once we won the, the reelection by such a big margin, uh, they really, really had a target on my back. I think it's because, one, I, they, they know that I'd beat Joe Biden. But I think much more importantly, they've seen me actually execute on this agenda. Uh, we're so used to people running for office, making big promises, and then not following through on what they said they would do. With me, everything I said I would do, As governor, uh, I have delivered, and these are big wins on illegal immigration, on education, on economy, on reducing our debt, on and on down the line, things that really, really matter to Floridians and to conservatives nationally because we've led the way. So they look at me as somebody who, in the two-term presidency, you know, I have the strategic judgment, I have the discipline to be able to bring all this stuff in for a landing, and they do not want to see that. Uh, you know, they are invested in continuing in the status quo. Uh, they don't want somebody that's going to come in and actually get the job done. So they've been really uh, targeting me for many, many years. But certainly uh, in this last year, that's been their consistent thing. But at the end of the day, our folks know what the media does. They know that this is um, this is kind of how they how they play their games. And anybody that they're targeting I think our voters look at that and say, well, gee, that guy must be doing something right. If the media is after him, he must be getting the job done.
0: I notice you run on your record. You don't run from it. You're very proud of it. You've accomplished a great deal in six years as governor. And I'm not trying to create a controversy of any kind. But I also notice that Nikki Haley, who was a governor for eight years, does not run on her record.
4: Am I missing something? No, I mean, I, I don't know really necessarily what the record would be. Um, I think clearly with, with what we've done in Florida, uh, we came in, uh, had a big agenda, executed it. I mean, illegal immigration. You know, we did ban sanctuary cities. We did E-Verify. We have sent people to the border to help Texas. We've cracked down on, on uh, sex trafficking, human smuggling. I have boats in the, uh, off our coast interdicting boats coming in from Haiti with illegal aliens. We transported 50 illegal aliens to Martha's Vineyard Uh, And So we've been leaning in um, on that issue, uh, which is one of the most important issues facing our country with all the nonsense that's going on down there now. And so that'll be a day one issue for me as president. You look at education. We got the indoctrination out uh, of the schools. Uh, No gender ideology, no critical race theory. We have universal school choice. Uh, These are things that are really, really significant and that have led the nation. And so we were we've not been a caretaker. Uh, Governor, We've actually leaned in on some of these issues. And, you know, all these Republicans, I think every single Republican who's running uh, has criticized me uh, for taking the fight to Disney regarding the gender ideology in the elementary schools. I mean, we had a situation in Florida where we said, and I'm a father of a six, five and three year old. So this is something that's sensitive to me and my wife. And we have a lot of sympathy for other parents out there who are raising kids in an environment where the left wants to shove their agenda down their kids throats. And we think that that's wrong. So we said in Florida, no, uh, anything about uh, the sex or gender ideology, uh, in, in schools, particularly for these younger grades, you know, Disney fought us. Uh, we, we got it enacted, but then they came and tried to get the bill repealed. They were threatening to sue over it. Uh, and so we fought back against them. I mean, we got to draw on the line in the sand with respect to these kids, and make sure that parents know we're going to be there. Uh, And I know Nikki Haley has taken the side of Disney. All these candidates have taken the side of Disney. That's corporatism. Uh, Market economics is not just bowing down to woke corporations. uh, When they're trying to change our society or change our laws, particularly with relating to children, Uh, not only do we have a right to fight back, we have a duty to fight back. And so I think that How I handled that is different than how some of those other people would have handled it.
0: No income tax in Florida. Uh, It's a prospering state. Tell us about school choice in Florida, because I noticed that these candidates on the stage like to talk about it, but most of them haven't done a damn thing about it.
4: No, exactly. And so we have universal school choice now. So parents, it's not just so our school choice understandably started out targeting low income families, a lot of single moms. And that's great. Uh but our view is is that the dollar should follow the student and it should be about funding the students rather than funding the systems. So we now have it expanded and that's important because Mark, I mean you know you you've got a foothold in South Florida. You have families that are working hard, they have two or three kids. Uh you could make be making a hundred grand a year in uh in South Florida. Uh, It didn't like you're high on the hog there. It didn't like you have just unlimited money to be to be affording tuition. So to be able to have the money for your student where you can direct that to a private school, you could go to a charter school. A lot of times there's school choice within school districts, too. You could do that. That's a huge, huge boon for parents. It's also a big boon for parents that want religious education. Um, You know, we've got a lot of uh, parochial schools, a lot of Catholic schools. We have Jewish day schools. We've got, um, you know, uh, Protestant uh, Christian schools and a lot of parents uh, really want that component. And we want to be able to help deliver all the options to them. So people say, oh, well, if you do that, it's going to be bad for the traditional school systems. All I can tell you in Florida is we've never scored better on these tests than we're doing now as a full blown school choice state. In the most recent uh, nation's report card, we were third and fourth, respectively in fourth grade reading and fourth grade math nationwide that was not the case when i was growing up in florida and so what it does is it empowers the parents it's good for the students but it also causes the other schools uh, to up their game because they got to compete for students instead of just having a monopoly over students
0: let's talk about energy if we can governor uh joe biden and his administration are destroying the energy sector They're backing these uh, radical left wing groups that are bringing lawsuits against uh, energy producing companies to try and steal their resources, their capital, the R&D money. Uh, use it like they did with the cigarette companies, although I don't ever happen to that money, but it would be gobbled up and devoured by the government, and redistributed to some left wing cause. They're also nationalizing millions of acres of land and then claiming that they are not to be developed. That is, you can't drill on them and so forth. We're going to reach a point, a choke point where we're not able to produce what's needed in this country to run our industrial heartland. Uh, for people to warm their homes or cool their homes, to run our automobiles and so forth and so on. This is the plan. This is what they're doing, trying to push people into EVs. This is a disaster for this country, these ideological nincompoops. Do you have a plan to counter this?
4: Yes, we don't want to be relying on foreign countries and so independent from that. But even beyond that, we want to be the dominant energy producer in the, in the entire world. That's important, one, to get prices down at the pump uh, for Americans. Uh, two, it helps the economy overall because it, it, energy costs impact all prices. So it's relief from inflation, helps small businesses. It helps our industrial base. But maybe most important all, it helps our national security. Biden's anti-energy agenda benefits Russia, Iran, Venezuela, and China. I mean, just think about his push to force people to do electric vehicles. Where does the the minerals and, and, and the things that they mine, where does that come from to go into the batteries and whatnot? Most of it comes from China. And so it makes Americans more reliant on China. It will uh, totally decimate our automobile industry here at home. Uh, we have these minerals. We have reserves. And Biden takes that out of circulation so you can't actually mine in the United States. And so he's making our country way, way more vulnerable um, as a result of this. And here's the thing. It will not work Um, if you want to uh, reduce carbon emissions, which he claims is the most important thing. You should be embracing things like natural gas. I mean, that's the reason why U.S. emissions have gone down because more power plants use natural gas instead of coal. Natural gas is a lot cheaper. You have the developing world that is very energy poor. Uh, What Biden is saying is somehow they're not going to be able uh, to advance their societies. Uh, Because if you have abundant energy in some of those countries, it will lift. Uh, billion people out of poverty uh, over the next generation. And so I think we should be exporting our natural gas uh, to all these places. Give it to Europe so that they don't have to worry um, about any hostile countries. We've got to choose Midland over Moscow when it comes to energy. We've got to choose the Marcellus over the Mullahs, and we've got to choose Bakken over Beijing. If we do all of that, the average American's going to do much better in their pocketbook. But our country is going to be way more secure as a result
0: governor the uh, GAO the OMB the CBO they put out a joint report in May they said federal spending is and I use their word unsustainable that's the federal numbers pushers each branch of the government except the, the judiciary of course but they said it's unsustainable and that was about last year When they said the debt, excuse me, the deficit was the greatest in American history in 2022. Well, it's doubled now in 2023. And Schumer uh, is blowing off the caps that they negotiated in May. The Senate Republicans, most of them, are going along with Schumer. You have House Republicans who are trying to fight this, trying to come up with some ideas, including an 8% cut in domestic spending, start securing the border and so forth. And. I hear, you know, general statements from some of the candidates saying we can't do this anymore and we can't do this anymore. They never tell us what it is that they're going to do. What do you think?
4: Well, look, if you look at the, the problem we've had with the explosion of debt, uh, it's rooted back into the covid response where they did trillions and trillions of dollars. And both parties supported this over the last three, four years. Uh, and, and, and that's bad. And that shouldn't have happened. And I think the whole response. Uh, looking back, we would, should have never done that. I think most people acknowledge that at this point. Clearly in Florida, we fought back against that very early on. Uh, but the problem is, is they've locked in those levels of spending effectively that were justified because of the, of the quote, COVID emergency. You got to go all the way back, set all those spending levels back to what it was prior to that. Uh, 20, 2017, 18, 19 levels, and then you got to hold the line there. Uh, if you did that, you would save um, a lot of money over, over a 10 year period. That should be the bare minimum to be able to do. Mark in Florida, we have the, our cost per capita for our state workers is the lowest in America. The number of state workers we have per capita is the lowest in America. And yet when people move from New York or New Jersey or Illinois, They say Florida's got great services. They're able to get their driver's license or be able to do this. They'd be able to do that. They've got no problem with the services. They're they're, they're grateful for the services and the infrastructure. So this government is so much bigger uh, than anything that could be justified that I think that they should think big. um, And I think that they should do that. Uh, With Schumer and these guys, uh, they have no No regard for the next generation. Uh, A lot of Republicans, the old guard Republicans, have joined with the Democrats. And so this is a bipartisan problem. Um, Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I do think we need structural reform, things like a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution. Because, Mark, you and I could come. We could get the budget in great shape. We could change the trajectory and maybe have an agreement, let's say. But then there'll be another election two or four years later. And guess what? The new Congress people come in and they undo it. Uh, and that's mm. been the problem with all these budget deals that have happened really since the 80s. You put these caps in, you turn around and then they and they violate it, you know, the next year.
0: Governor, if people want to learn more about your campaign or get involved, where do they go?
4: Our website is uh, www.rondesantis.com, You can also uh, text the word freedom to five. One, two, three, four, five. Freedom to five. One, two, three, four, five. We appreciate everybody's support. Uh, we will turn this country around and we will not let you down. All right,
0: Governor, my best to you and your bride and the family there. God bless you, sir.
4: For more from
1: Mark on the election, head to marklaven show.com.
2: <laughs>